clients, colleagues, and friends of the firm. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining today's uniquely Rockefeller special client event entitled Trending Now, Election 2020. Today's conversation is the 17th in our series and will be a conversation between Greg Fleming and Chairman and CEO of Newberger Berman, George H. Walker IV. Without further ado, please allow me to introduce our President and CEO, Greg Fleming. Thank you very much, Tom. And good afternoon to uh, employees of Rockefeller, to our clients and to other friends of Rockefeller Capital Management. And welcome, as Tom said, to the 17th in the client series that we began when the COVID pandemic started way back in March. It's my great pleasure uh, to have my friend and colleague George Walker with us today. Uh, it's obviously a, uh, a, a seminal and pivotal time across our country right now. Uh, and we will, with George today, cover the landscape between uh, the election and all that's going on on a macro basis, the great firm that he is running and leading, Newberger Berman, uh, the investment world and the things that George sees there. Uh, and we'll circle around and include, as Tom said, questions that you send in through Teams. We'll make sure we incorporate those uh, in the hour that we have together. So as I said, it's my great pleasure to have George Walker with us here today. George, as Tom said, is the chairman and chief executive officer of Newberger Berman, which is a private, independent, employee-owned investment management firm that was founded way back in 1939. In fact, George, you've got a big anniversary coming up in a mere 19 years. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the firm manages uh, uh, approximately $375 billion of equities, fixed income, private equity, hedge fund portfolios uh, for institutional investors, uh, and through um, client advisors and individuals. Uh, it's located in 24 different countries. Uh, not only is it an excellent uh, top-tier uh, investment management firm, but it's been named by Pension and Investments as a, one of the best places to work in money management, uh, finishing first or second in each of the last five years, which goes down uh, a lot. Uh, he'll disavow this to George's leadership. Uh, George had a distinguished career before Newberger Berman, uh, he uh, spent 14 years at Goldman Sachs, where he was a partner and a member of the firm's partnership committee. He then um, uh, was at uh, Lehman Brothers uh, and was global head of the investment management division uh, that included Newberger Berman at Lehman Brothers. And we're going to talk about this uh, with George. He pulled Newberger Berman out of Lehman Brothers uh, during and after uh, the events of 2008 uh, and, and has uh, had a terrific uh, run at the, at the company in the 12 years since. George is actively involved in many different things uh, throughout uh, New York, including the partnership for New York City. He's involved uh, in uh, Grace Church School where he has his kids. Uh, he's a University of Pennsylvania uh, uh, alum uh, with uh, Bachelor of Arts, Science, and MBA from uh, the University of Pennsylvania. He's a great friend of New York's. He lives in New York, cares a lot about New York. We're also going to talk about New York and the pandemic. Uh, and, and uh, what he sees for New York going forward. He's also a lifelong Republican and a great uh, friend of the party. Uh, he's a member of the, uh, the Bush family. They're uh, his cousins. Um, he uh, has, uh, has been uh, active uh, through them in the, in the political sphere and has uh, a lot of uh, perspectives that we're going to enjoy hearing today, two days after uh, uh, arguably the most competitive uh, and closest election in our history, certainly in the history of the elections that we all have lived through. So with all that, George, uh, welcome. It's really great to have you here today. Thank you, Greg. It's uh, it's great fun to be with you. Um, 
a real privilege. Thank you. Well, um, George, let's start uh, where everybody wants to start with every topic. You know, I've been on with clients as you have today, and and uh, uh, and other uh, industry leaders, and it doesn't you know family members. Everybody starts with the same topic right now: uh, the election. Uh, you know, uh, top of the mind thoughts uh, on the election. Uh, uh, how it seems like it's trending, where it might come out, and we can talk about moving moving forward in the country. Uh, but your thoughts on the election? Uh, when when we scheduled this, we thought we would be talking about an election where we we hoped we would know the outcome, and uh, here we sit uh, uh, looking at at votes being counted in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona and Nevada, um, and it is it's remarkably close. Um, as of it just came off of an uh, um, ICI, the industry bodies executive committee meeting. So I'm about an hour behind, but at least as of an hour ago, uh, you know, the betting sites were still suggesting that it was a sort of 85% chance that it would be a, a, a Biden victory. Um, the, the, well, uh, uh, Vice President Biden was behind in uh, Georgia, in Pennsylvania, those ballots, he was closing the gap rapidly. Um, I think he needed 62% of the outstanding uncounted ballots in Pennsylvania to, to be in his favor um, to catch the president. And he was uh, he was operating uh, the, the last batch that they counted was 72%. So, you know, it's uh, it's a coin toss. I, I, I say right now you'd have to guess that Vice President Biden is going to be our next president, but we'll know more uh, Hopefully, in the in the hours uh, in the hours ahead, and I think the Senate all of a sudden is is quite interesting. Where I think as we woke up this morning, we all would have said it's clearly um, it's clearly a Republican Senate. Uh, we don't again have the final numbers in in Georgia, but it looks like we could have two runoffs there. Uh, so it could be 48 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and then uh, an all important election in Georgia in a couple months' time. Uh, for not one but two uh, two Senate seats, um, uh, so a, a lot a, a lot hanging up in the air still. Yeah, George, um, you, you are a student of uh, of uh, uh, you know our government and elections, and and uh, uh, you know I know that because we've had so much dialogue and so many different occasions over the years. Um, did you did you see it uh, coming that it would be this close? And and what does it really say about where we are in the country? the closest of the election and uh, uh, what are the implications going forward for governing? Are, are both parties listening that there, there are two major parts of the country that that uh, are supporting each candidate and each party and it's pretty tight. So the notion that, you know, somehow somebody's not getting it, you know, when it splits this closely, there, there, there needs to be listening on all sides. So did you think it'd be this close and what, what happens now governing going forward? Um, I didn't. I thought it was going to be close. I, um, our, our, we, we thought it was going to be 290 Biden, um, so so fairly close. It may end up actually being more than that uh, for the for the vice president if he carries uh, um, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. Um, I'm not sure I was emotionally prepared <laughs> for uh, for the for the drama that uh, that we all uh, are experiencing. But I thought there was a real chance that there could be a blue wave. Um, so the the base case was that it was going to be close, that Trump would outperform uh, the polls materially, uh, and that there would not be a blue wave. 
um, uh, so this is not a this is not an entirely unexpected reaction. I think the the Republicans uh, have to be be happy uh, with their performance in the House, where it looks like they're going to pick up a handful of seats, um, as well as in the Senate, where I think I believe going going into the evening that uh, uh, while the Vice President was likely to be reelected, that the Democrats were likely to take the Senate, and I think that's uh, um, I think that's unlikely now. Um, I do think the you know the the whole uh, the whole industry of polling uh, has uh, has uh, yeah, needs to do a lot of uh, uh, self uh, uh, in inspection and think about the process because again at, after uh, the disaster <laughs> their disastrous performance of four years ago a lot of brilliant people spent a lot of time making sure that wasn't going to happen again uh, and it sure feels like it uh, it just did um, under undercounting. Uh, the president's vote in many cases by um, four or five percent, in some cases even uh, even uh, even more. Um, in terms of you know where 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 is the country, I, it's hard because I what what's surprising has been how durable, um, frankly, the president's coalition is. You would have guessed with his approval ratings. Um, the economic challenges we have and COVID, uh, which I think most people would admit the federal government has uh, has done a poor job of handling relative to other major industrialized countries. Um, just remarkable uh, that uh, that that coalition held together so strongly and was uh, was as durable uh, as it is. So we are uh, we are a divided country. Um, Perhaps uh, more than uh, more than folks appreciated, and I think there is this this challenge uh, between much of the country, uh, you know, desperately wanting sort of uh, responsible centrist policies, and and these these great uh, populist forces in both parties, uh, really really tugging at the streams uh, seams and and asserting themselves, uh, frankly, in primaries. Uh, George, uh, if if, if uh, Vice President Biden becomes the next president, you know one thing that's clear, given how close this election has been, and, and again how well the Republicans seem to do on the on on the back of uh, President Trump, that there is a Trump legacy either way. Uh, your thoughts on that, and and how that might impact the Republican Party going forward? Yeah, I don't. It's a it's a super important question, and I, and I I don't know what the answer is. I think the Trump Trump legacy. A couple of things. One is, I think it, a lot depends on him, uh, as so much of it is 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 linked to the the human being. Uh, I think as as much as the as much as the policies, uh, I suspect he will not pick the path of of Jimmy Carter and go off and try and make the world a better place in uh, in humble ways by building uh, building homes or or uh, pick the path of of other uh, other. Uh, other presidents we could we could name, so I, I you know I, I suspect he's going to want to stay on center stage. There's if you were to to look at the New York Post right now, the lead story is uh, speculating that he may immediately after losing, if in fact he does lose, which seems likely, uh, that he would announce his candidacy for four years from now. Uh, at which point he would be the same age as uh, as Vice President uh, Biden is. Uh, Today, in which case he would very much be uh, uh, be part of it. So I 
I don't know. Um, you know, historically, you would say that, frankly, he will fade to, to black um, um, and that there will be a new generation of leadership who will take the party uh, to take the party in a new direction. But that's not this guy's M.O. Um, I think he will perhaps face a series of um, legal and tax challenges that may make it uh, more difficult for him to to stay front and center. But uh, he's faced a lot of uh, a lot of ethical challenges, and it hasn't seemed to it hasn't seemed to dent his brand uh, uh, with his base. So we'll we'll see. the The other interesting thing for me, at least, is the Republican Party that that I grew up in. Um, it was just it's just a, it was a different party. Um, the, if you look at who formed the core of the Trump loyalists, it's uh, it's rural, um, definitely not suburban. It's uh, uh, largely non-college graduate males, um, and it is sort of deeply uh, anti-elitist uh, uh, and anti-globalist in a way that is uh, it's quite different than the the Republican Party of. Uh, of, of, of 20 years ago. And so, you know, my, my hope would be obviously that the, the party um, returns a bit more to its historical roots and finds ways to recapture um, uh, the suburbs and, and uh, uh, educated uh, voters with a, uh, an appeal to values as opposed to, uh, as opposed to the, the, the more populist uh, route that, that this campaign has certainly taken. George, what about from a Republican Party standpoint? They, there must be some encouragement from the magnitude of uh, Hispanic support they got in different parts of the country. I mean, uh, I, I read that 55% of Cuban voters voted Republican in Florida, and uh, you know, significant percentage of every Hispanic group in Florida, which is why the president carried Florida. So, given the, that being such a, a, a large and growing part of the the uh, the uh, voting country that's got to be a positive for uh, for the Republican Party. I think so, and and I think what people are realizing is that the the Hispanic vote is not a Hispanic vote. It's a it's a Cuban uh, American vote, which is which is quite different uh, than a Venezuelan American vote. In this case, also skewing uh, skewing uh, uh, quite quite favorably um, to, uh, to to the president. I was surprised to see some of the. Um, some of the counties in, for example, South Texas, uh, where I happen to spend a lot of time, which had voted, you know, where, where Republican votes were in the teens historically have, have moved up uh, to be uh, to, to be majority. So it's I, I think there is a path um, after the, the last defeat, after the Romney defeat, um, the party did a lot of sort of introspection and, and thoughtful work and concluded that they needed to far more aggressively reach out to the Hispanic community, the African-American community, uh, the LGBTQ community, um, uh, and, and the president came along and, and sort of chose the opposite, <laughs> the opposite tact of, uh, instead of reaching out and embracing of, uh, of, uh, of challenging and provoking, uh, so, uh, but it is, it's, it's remarkable that with, uh, certainly with the Cuban American and, and Venezuelan American uh, communities, uh, the numbers are, are, are good. I, I suspect we'll see also amongst the African American community, um, his support will be, will be not anywhere near where, where he has suggested it will, but I think you're going to see a, a continued improvement um, for folks uh, for whom the economic arguments are, are central. Great.
George, before we move off this, there's a couple of questions that have come in that I'll, I'll uh, ask, and then we'll uh, we'll move to other topics. Uh, but uh, uh, Chloe Duanchi said the following, or asked the following, assuming uh, she's one of our colleagues here at Rockefeller, assuming a Biden presidency and a narrow Republican majority in the Senate, which we just discussed, it'll be 52-48 if they get the Georgia seats. Do you think uh, Vice President-elect Biden, if that becomes the case, will still manage to push through any major infrastructure spending in 21 or 22? It's a great question. Um, I, I, I think there could, uh, I think there's, there's will in both parties uh, for, for infrastructure uh, builds, uh, for, for Build America bonds um, and, and the other. Um, so I, I'd like to think that a, a, a you know, I, I think what will be off the table, um, if it were the Vice President Biden and a, and a Democratic um, Senate and House, you know, we would be talking about repealing um, the Trump tax cuts. I think that's sort of off the table. Um, I think we'd be talking about taxing uh, cap gains and dividends uh, at ordinary income rates. I think that's off the table. Um, we would be talking about, uh, you know, some of these proposals to tax uh, cap gains on mark to market, um, not on not on realized, which. Uh, I believe would be a real mistake. I think that's off the, 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 the table. But I do think there's enough consensus in both parties that uh, perhaps something uh, important in infrastructure could get done. I think you'd see, a, you know, we'll see a smaller stimulus bill than we otherwise might have. But I think that, uh, and I think it was a real missed opportunity, frankly, for this president. I, um, I think he, uh, he could have gotten uh, infrastructure done if he, had made it, uh, if he had made it more of a priority. Uh, another question, another good question, so I'll ask it from Nick Peters. Assuming uh, Biden wins the election, what concerns do you have during the transition period between the two administrations, uh, I guess in terms of the ease of the transition, uh, and what implications could that have for the country and financial markets? Ah, boy, I, it's a great question. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that... Uh, uh, that there will be a that there will be a smooth transition. I'm sure it will not be without its uh, eventful tweets, as we've already seen, and and lawsuits which are are currently being uh, being fired off. Um, but do believe fundamentally there will be a, a a peaceful transition of power um, that can't be stopped uh, if, in fact, uh, the vice president is elected as uh, as we expect uh, he he will subject to the votes uh, coming in over the, the, the course of the next uh, of the next few days you know but the next period could be could be choppy you know the the most similar event in all of our lifetime was obviously the 2000 election where uh, we were talking about hanging chads in 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 Florida uh, and where that uh, was unresolved for 38 days so uh, here we are only a few days into it uh, that that went on uh, uh, much, uh, much longer, and markets didn't like that, right? Uh, S and P was off eight percent um, during uh, during that period, and so I, I if uh, markets would love certainty, markets would love for this election to to be over, frankly, one way or another. Um, but I do think what's interesting in looking at how markets were behaving as everyone came up with the, you know, as it was as. People thought Biden was going to win. Stock market rallied when it looked like, oh my gosh, Trump is going to win. Um, so you know, midnight, uh, midnight on election evening, market rallied. Biden came back, market rallied. So I think you know, the stock market wants to go up. 
uh, right now. Uh, and uh, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned. Uh, I'm less concerned about uh, uh, about a, a near term correction than was uh, than was the case uh, in, uh, in in Gorby Bush. Uh, you're, you're always modest, but the, the, the facts at your fingertips on 2000 uh, are, are pretty precise. Uh, I think uh, you had quite the front row seat there. Um, the 38 days and the 8% of the S&P. I wouldn't have been able to name the number of days or the S&P. Um, uh, there's another question here that, again, given your insight and knowledge, I'm going to ask, uh, and then we'll move on, uh, from Michael Buss. Do you foresee leadership challenges for Pelosi and Schumer, given their uh, poor electoral showings in the, in, the, in the Democratic House and Senate races? Will they still, uh, uh, you know, I guess for Pelosi, it'll be majority leader. For Schumer, it's minority leader. But uh, are those seats going to be up for grabs in the Democratic Party? I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, Pelosi's uh, has had a uh, has had a number of challenges historically that she's always been able to fight through. I think her standing was never higher. She was an effective um, adversary uh, 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 to President Trump. I don't think people will tag her. Uh, with uh, with with the, the the step back um in the house um but i do think she's been in the seat a long time and you know every every member of congress thinks they should be speaker and every member of congress is figuring out a way that they can run for president so the fact that there are other ambitious kids in class who want that seat is uh is self-evident and so i i suspect they uh you know they will both be challenged more as a function of age and tenure and the the um, the law of the jungle than uh, necessarily uh, being blamed narrowly for uh, for this election. Uh, this election was a was a referendum on the president and perhaps a referendum on on uh, uh, Vice President Biden or um, the Obama Biden years um, more so than than I think uh, um, a function of. Uh, how individual house uh, uh, races were run. Yeah. Well, let's uh, thank you. That was terrific. Let's uh, let's talk about some other. We have uh, many great topics here, or many topics that are of interest to everybody listening. Uh, it, it certainly, I remind people all the time that uh, 2020 will be written about and discussed in history books. And when you and I are are uh, very old, looking back, people are going to say, "Tell us about 2020 and COVID <laughs> and the pro selection and." President Trump and everything else. Uh, that's uh, uh, that's that's a for sure event. 30, 40, 50 years from now. Yeah. So so we shift to, to get there. And 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 something <laughs> near to your part, New York City. Um, you all you all have a you know your corporate headquarters here. You live here. You have your family here. You, you're building a great firm here, uh, and and have a, a significant number of employees just a few blocks from our offices at Rockefeller Center. Um, so the, the city, uh, uh, how will how is it doing, and and how will it do? And you know, I've heard, and so have you, all the you know predictions running from, hey, after September 11th, people said that nobody would live downtown, and I heard it directly. People are leaving New York, and downtown wouldn't come back. And by 2019, or the beginning of this year, it had blown through downtown, out to Brooklyn, through Brooklyn. You know, New York had never had a better time. Uh, now that took a while to get there, but um, uh, you never would have had any notion of that in uh, October of 2001, when you and I and everybody living here, you know, could smell the buildings in, in Midtown and everything else. 
So uh, what's the future for New York? How soon does it snap back? And uh, just your thoughts. And by the way, for all the people watching and listening, George is in his office in New York, uh, just a few blocks from Rockefeller. So to talk about New York, which I know you're a great fan of. I am. Unfortunately, I'm watching out my window. I can see them uh, boarding up uh, additional buildings uh, in, with the expectation of, of uh, more, more protests this evening, which is a... Uh, a sad commentary on uh, on where we where we are as a society. Um, I, I do love New York. I grew up in Missouri uh, and and moved to New York after school and feel like I was embraced by New York uh, and have chosen to to stay here and raise my family here uh, and love the city. Uh, I think New York is going to have a really difficult period and and I think the way you framed it, Greg, is exactly the right one, which is New York will. New York will bounce back. Um, it is, you know, it and London and you know a few other cities around the world um, are not going to be replaced and are still going to be, you know, the hubs for 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 culture and entertainment um, uh, and and business. And it's still where where young people uh, are gonna are gonna want to be. Uh, but I think that the next few years are going to be really are going to be really hard, and I think that the snapback will take longer uh, uh, longer than uh, September 11th, and I fear it's going to be a bit more um, like the 1970s, uh, uh, where the city, because of the the fiscal crisis, really suffered for for a long period of time. So, you know, this is challenging. I I don't feel like we've you know we we sure haven't found bottom yet. Um, we have in terms of people coming back to the office. We just we just surveyed uh, uh, partnership companies. And we've got I think 1.7 million folks who work in the, the New York City area, and about 10% of their employees um, are back in the office. So overwhelmingly, offices uh, uh, are are essentially um, essentially empty around the city. In small businesses, uh, restaurants and the like are. are are desperately, uh, you know, struggling to, uh, uh, to, 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 to stay alive. I think the big challenge this time will be a couple of things. One is that the tax base is going to be challenged. This, unlike, um, unlike uh, challenges in the past, we have all now learned um, that we don't need to be here to operate our business. Um, we, you know, I, I don't think there are many company executives who, if you went to them last year and said, okay, how about this? You know, no one can come back into their building or any building. They have to work from home for the next year. How will your firm do? You know, now what will happen if everyone has to do that? And you would have predicted chaos. And uh, and the reality is, it's been fine. Uh, you know, we we've uh, I'm sure you guys, uh, given uh, how well you execute, have uh, have not missed a beat and. Uh, we've all, you know, we've all done far, far, far better, uh, better than we would have thought. And so, you know, folks who were thinking about moving to Florida or other places, um, and where that was a was, you know, a, a hypothetical consideration, uh, now that they've actually lived in their second homes happily uh, for six months and may have another six months to go, um, I think it's a very, very real consideration. Uh, and so. I think it's going to be tough, um, and the reality is the city is going to need uh, need desperately uh, a, a great leader. Uh, we unfortunately sure don't have one um, uh, in our in our current mayor, 
um, and you know, hopefully amongst the the eight candidates who have announced for uh, for 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 mayor of New York, uh, somebody will step to the fore who uh, who is an effective leader. But boy, we benefited tremendously from the you know from the Mike Bloomberg years. He may be a uh, a lousy debater uh, uh, <laughs> on the stage for presidential politics, but he he was a he was a wonderful steward of uh, of the city and. And we really, uh, we really are going to need that again because it's it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, no, Mike, uh, you know, a great executive and leader, and uh, and the courage of his convictions. Uh, uh, so we definitely are going to need uh, somebody more along those lines. There's some people in the mix, as you know, that you and I both know that uh, that I have, you know, that I have hope on. So, uh, um, George, I wanted to I make the one the one thing I add, Greg, which is you know, for 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 folks who are listening and participating. The um, I'll just link the first part of our conversation with this, right? We, we all are sitting here impressed and and rightfully proud of uh, of how the country leave aside the the you know some of the, the crazy protesters, but how the country um, behaved in terms of voting in this election in the midst of uh, a, a deadly pandemic. We're driving record uh, record turnout and record engagement, uh, and it. It speaks well for the country and 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 of our ability to uh, to actually behave as a as a democratic uh, as a democratic society. Um, the opposite, unfortunately, is true with regards to state and state and local leadership. So um, the essentially in New York, because we're basically a one party you know one party city, the uh, the the mayoral election, uh, for example, which is deeply consequential for the city. Um, will be decided uh, next summer, next June. And last time, um, uh, the mayor received, I believe it was 8% of the vote. Uh, so 14% 14, 14, uh, 14% of the folks showed up to vote. He got 8%. He won. Um, so remarkably uh, low turnout in state and local elections. The folks who drive turnout um, often are those who were part of broader organizations that you know, require people to 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 go and vote, uh, and employees at at great firms like yours and and others uh, who are really busy, they vote in national elections. They don't vote in state and local elections. And boy, this year does it have uh, have an enormous consequence. So there are a whole series of initiatives going on trying to to help folks uh, get out and and vote. But it's uh, it's going to be important. And there are. As you said, Greg, there are are some folks who are running um, who could be terrific candidates. There are also some folks who are running who would be a disaster for the business community. Um, and I, I just like for our people not to have my point of view, but to inform themselves and engage because, uh, boy, I trust the the, the, the wisdom of uh, the average employee at the average private sector uh, employer. Uh, in New York City, and unfortunately, their vote they, they haven't shown up, and uh, and they need to next year, or we we're going to be in a world of hurt. You know, George, I'm going to uh, go back to the federal election in a second, and one of the questions I want to go back to uh, is 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 related to a follow-on to what you're saying here, because I've got a question on the Georgia runoff, uh, the Senate runoff, which is going to get massive attention for all the reasons we we're we're talking about. Uh, but can we drive that kind of turnout in New York 
through encouraging, uh, you know, Rockefeller and Newberger and other employees who live and can vote in the city to vote this time. Because so that's that's what we're what what we're trying to do historically. Um, CEOs, I think, have avoided like the plague um, participating in particularly local and state politics. Um, you get on the wrong side; it's it's you know you'll be you'll be attacked for it. Um, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, unless your business involves significant amounts of commerce uh, with the the city or the state, unless you're a real estate developer or something, you you typically uh, you know it's uh, like polite dinner conversation with. Uh, uh, with your in-laws, you leave aside religion and leave aside religion and politics. I, I think um, uh, the world has changed, and I think now um, employees are looking to us um, to help them engage more, um, help them engage philanthropically more, help them engage um, civically uh, more. And so we've started uh, an effort at the firm. We actually have a have a civic engagement group. That is, uh, that's going to work hard to, 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 you know, I'd, I'd like every single Newberger Berman employee to vote uh, in the upcoming election, and I don't, I don't care who they vote for. I mean, I do care, but, but I won't know and I won't ask. Uh, but I really want them to vote in the same way that we've made, we've made, you know, civic engagement um, and community engagement an important value here. So I think most. Most CEOs feel comfortable asking their people to take a day off from work to go teach kids in a school or or clean up a park or or you know paint a, 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 a you know a home for for the elderly or you know do something that that makes the world a better place. I think we all also need to tell people you have to go and vote and and uh, and and we'll help you. So here are some resources if you need to do it absentee. Um, here are some thoughts, not from us, but. Uh, external that you can access, and I think if I think if companies can do that in very small numbers, we can uh, we can radically change the outcome. And it's interesting. I was I was chatting with uh, a, a candidate for a, a citywide office who said, "Oh, I'd love to come in and 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 chat with a group at your firm." Uh, and and she confessed, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not really looking for their votes because your people don't vote. You know, I just want I'd like to come in and get checks. Um, we need to change that. Uh, and and our people our people need to be engaged, and we need to help them be engaged. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, spot on, uh, uh, and it's a great example. Uh, George, if we go back to election and start to transition to investments, which Newberger does a lot of, um, a question from uh, Jason Zilbetti, who said, given the expected election outcome that we all talked about, which is divided uh, government, et cetera, how does that impact your investment outlook moving forward? Where does Newberger see the greatest opportunities to add value for portfolios globally in 2021 and beyond? Um, so I, I think divided government will, you know, will is a fine thing. I, 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 you know, I'm a lifelong Republican, as Greg said. I, I, I voted for for Vice President Biden and contributed to him. So I'm. Uh, I was uh, for for different values-based reasons eager to eager to to see a different person uh, uh, than the president um, uh, in the White House. I, I think you know in this case divided government. Yes, markets won't like it in, initially, or would have liked a larger upfront stimulus package. But over time, um, I, I think uh, smaller stimulus, perhaps lower rates, flatter curve. Um, 
lower taxes uh, 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 will, will, will be positive. At the end of the day, the president, the executive branch has, uh, uh, there's a lot that they can do in terms of the regulatory environment uh, without the engagement of, uh, of the legislative branch. And so we'll see. I, I hope that uh, Vice President Biden, if he does win, um, uh, picks moderates uh, for for you know some some key positions uh, as opposed to the the uh, more populist radical fringe members uh, uh, of his of his party. Um, but I, I think that'll be a, you know it'll be a fine environment. I think you know generally in terms of in terms of where we are in the world, it's it's tough. Um, in you know most of the folks who I spend time with are 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 you know great big institutions. I'd say that probably the biggest concern that they have is um, looking at you know their call it 60-40, 70-30 portfolio. Is what what are we going to do with the bond portion of the portfolio? It has it's not going to produce any material returns, um, and it's not really clear that it's diversifying much risk. Um, so if uh, equities and bonds have uh, historically zigged and zagged differently, um, that, that, hasn't, that hasn't been the case. And so low returning, less diversifying asset um, uh, has, you know, should, should we be looking elsewhere? And so we will see more people, you know, frankly, reaching for yield, which is one of the, one of the goals of, uh, of, of monetary policy is to get people to take more risk. And so we're seeing people in, in high yield and emerging markets um, and other places, some of which will end well, some of which, um, you know, will end poorly uh, for those who, uh, uh, who, who, who chase yield, uh, uh, chase yield too much. I continue to believe that emerging markets um, will provide uh, attractive, uh, attractive returns over time. But I, I think, uh, um, you know, generally as a firm, we probably are, are more focused on just structurally on, on small caps um, than we are on mega caps. Uh, easier for us to add value, a much more alpha rich environment. It's true in the US, it's true in EFA land. It's, you know, we just, we just built a new Japanese uh, mid and small cap team. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I think we'll, 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 we'll see more, uh, more, more globalization, more small caps and certainly more privates. Um, both private equity um, and uh, and private credit, but it's tough. There's nothing that's cheap. We've had a you know we've had free money for a long time. Um, Goldman, I think, announced today. I think it's going to be 2025 before we see uh, uh, a rate hike. Uh, so we're going to have free money for a really long time. Um, that that'll be a, that'll be a, a conducive environment to uh, uh, to risk assets. Um, but one that'll be, you know, one, one will be tough to find things that are cheap. Yeah. Well, you know, the predictions like that always amaze me. I mean, how, how what's 2025, 2023 sitting here now? I mean, you know, who knows? And, um, George, one of the things that you, you're, you're, you've invested in and you're pushing hard at Newberger that we're also, uh, uh, we also believe in and is part of, uh, in particular, our asset management business, but it's starting to spread into our wealth management businesses as well, given the way millennials and Generation Z think about this, uh, is ESG investing. Uh, and you are very focused on and achieving leadership there. Can you talk a little bit about 
why that space? I mean, our mutual friend, uh, Mr. Larry Fink, continues to push ESG as well. Why, uh, why, from your vantage point, what have you done and, and how do you see that unfolding going forward? Um, we, we do care a lot about ESG. I was, uh, I learned the other day that you actually beat us uh, in a, for a mandate in Japan uh, from a client where we were the two finalists and uh, uh, the Rockefeller team bested us. So uh, hats, off, uh, hats off to you. We look forward to uh, uh, the, the next round. Um, Thank but you. Uh, <laughs> anecdote, I'm trying to be the gracious host, but I am beaming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, between uh, your terrific team and uh, and uh, the Rockefeller family's longstanding uh, uh, commitment to ESG, you guys are uh, uh, a formidable competitor. But uh, um, uh, uh, who bested us? But we 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 have we have tried. Uh, we've invested a lot in the in the space. We have rearchitected. Um, our research processes, our engagement processes. Uh, we're very proud um, PRI that we're going to UNPRI, the organization that, uh, um, in effect, sets the standards for ESG. Just announced their uh, their global leaders, um, and we were one of 20 uh, investment management firms out of 2,100 PRI signatories uh, to, uh, uh, to 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 be designated as such. So it's important to us, I'd say. Um, one, we genuinely believe it makes us better investors. Absolutely believe it. So, uh, uh, just on a, a call with uh, in the CEOs of uh, uh, the industry-wide trade association, in effect, talking about this new Department of Labor standard where they took out the words ESG, but said, you know, you 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 have to decide for pecuniary versus non-pecuniary reasons. And th this is this is easy for for us at least. We. Every place where we have uh, have added ESG to the investment process, our returns have gone up and the risk has gone down. And can show you how we, how that's true in equities. We can show you how it's true in our high yield portfolios. Um, it's uh, um, you know we 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 have benefited from it. So we don't believe it's uh, uh, we we believe it's 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 frankly uh, it's frankly just good uh, it's just good investing. The way we define the world, we have ESG and about seventy. Uh, five percent today of our assets, soon eighty um, uh, by the end of next month, um, and over time, hundred percent will be sort of strong form um, uh, ESG. Then we have sustainable portfolios, and and then impact portfolios where the actual investment itself is. Uh, we're trying to link to a specific quantitative um, uh, PRI initiative. But you know, these are we think it makes us better investors. Our clients care tremendously. Um, um, and it's the, the you know, while, while there are many medium-sized and smaller firms that are, do an extraordinary job, you guys, a firm called Generation, uh, you know, in the UK, there are a few. We, we want to be together with uh, probably Rubico in Europe, one of the, you know, one of the, the medium to larger firms that are, uh, that are at the forefront. That's great. Uh, I, I agree with you entirely in terms of the secular move to this kind of investing and the the, the change in the in the uh, in the environment and and, and as you said you, you got to a hundred percent. I said uh, uh, at some point in the recent past that ESG will ultimately become a, a universal wrapper for mm -hmm. all investing, just because uh, of uh, of the focus, uh, the relentless focus on on those in particular the younger generations on the, the all the different 
topics embedded in ESG investing. It's just, uh, it's a secular trend and it is here to stay. Uh, and I think it makes it just so, you know, if, if you know, you and I were to sit down and I was to talk about Newberger or you were to talk about Rockefeller, right? The discussion that we would have to evaluate the other person's business would probably start with a, you know, with a values-based, uh, we'd be talking about strategy and what you're trying to accomplish and what you believe in and what you care about. And um, it would be a values-based discussion. You know, historically, our industry went perhaps a little bit too much down the path of, you know, Greg, what are what are next quarter's earnings going to be? Or I've got this big model. Let me show it to you. You know, sell uh, twenty seven. Help me, help me here. And I think ESG, ESG has helped ground us and and again made us. We 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 have a different dialogue with companies that I think uh, that I think it just made us better, better, smarter. Uh, more thoughtful investors, and it's part of the reason why you know our numbers, knock on wood, have uh, have been as good as they are. The engagement thing is also you know is I think really interesting and something I could spend a lot of time talking about. But I think that's that's kind of the next frontier of how do how do we engage um, as owners uh, to to benefit the system because I think the system is broken and going in the wrong direction. Um, uh, on the engagement front. You know, uh, George, it's another, it's an area we're also very focused on as well. And I agree with you that it can be of real value uh, as investors. Uh, and, you know, when you and I started our careers, certainly uh, me who's a little bit ahead of you, uh, uh, the, 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 the thinking, the intellectual thinking around companies, and I've talked to, to uh, my wife and my family about this, how this has evolved. It was, it was shareholder base. You were focused on, if you were the CEO of a company in the mid to late 80s, you were focused on profitability, returning as much as you can to shareholders, and you weren't really, you were discouraged from moving outside of that, that lens. Now, uh, investors, society, people are expecting the lens to be broader, which will create long-term value. It'll still benefit the shareholders, but it's not next quarter. You're, you're going to make changes in the way you govern a company that you're in charge of that um, will create value over a longer period of time. The ESG investing lens can force companies to do that. Yeah. I think is a good thing for corporate America and for the country. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. But it, it's, and I do think, you know, in, in here, I'll, I'll disagree with our mutual friend, Larry. I, you know, I do think the, uh, I, I do think passive investors are unfortunately Sort of pushing us the wrong direction and in trying to make this about box checking, um, and that's not what it's about. It's it's about owners behaving like owners, and and owners engaging and owners really just thinking about what is this company's relationship to the physical world, the communities in which they operate, their employees, their management team, um, uh, and 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 thinking broadly, and that requires. That requires judgment and discussion and investigation, um, and that's something that that you at Rockefeller, or we here, or other firms like ours uh, uh, can and do do for a living. George, let's let's draw, let's uh, expound on this uh, or, or take it to the next uh, step. Just the way you think about investing and the way you, you talk about values based. Newberger has been uh, ranked first or second place to work. Uh, for large firms in asset management for each of the past five years by pension investment, so very legitimate publication. Uh, can you talk about how you've done that and, and, and the type of culture you try to create? We spend a lot of time, as you know, 
building a company now. You know, we started, and, and I want to ask you the question, but we started with 184 people in March of 2018, and we're now at over 550. As you're bringing that many people together, what is the culture that, that you're creating? What should people expect? What do we value? What do we care about? You've done a terrific job there, and it's a firm that is widely regarded as a great place to work, including on the part of a lot of you know young people, generation, uh, uh, you know the millennials or even the Generation Z coming up. So how have you done it? Um, well, we uh, as soon as you cross 2,000 employees and go into the large employer category, we will get bumped to the third slot, I fear. But uh, uh, <laughs> so hopefully you'll stop for uh, for a period before you uh, before you displace us there. Nice. Um, I uh, listen. We benefit by being private because realistically, the pressures that our public peers face are significant and real. Um, so if you pick up the paper today, you see um, uh, uh, Nelson Pels and his uh, um, son-in-law, you know, joining the the board of Invesco, where they're rattling uh, rattling sabers. Right? I guarantee you, there's not a single employee there today who is saying, "Terrific!" You know, <laughs> great, an activist on the board. This two activists on the board. Uh, uh, you know, and I guarantee you, their 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 the time horizon with which they make investments is not uh, is not you know magically gotten longer. It's uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's gotten a lot shorter. So both you and we benefit, uh, I think, tremendously from uh, from being private and to being able to to take a real long term point of view. We sure think an awful lot about alignment. So I work, you know, we worked really hard to to make sure that um, folks' compensation was was linked to client returns uh, and client experience as much as possible. Client is happy and more capital is allocated, they get paid more. The opposite, they get paid less. We perform well, they get paid more. The opposite, they get paid less. Um, and so, you know, if you can, for us, we've tried to construct a system that is relatively transparent, you know, as fair as we can, as fair as we can make it. And then it makes management's job easier in the sense that most of what you spend your time on, not all, but most, is just helping people succeed. Um, you know, helping people deliver, deliver for deliver for clients. Um, and it changes, it, it, it changes the the nature of the dialogue. So we uh, um, I don't like the term servant management, but um, but that's essentially what I believe in, which is, you know, I well, senior management here exists to, to help our help our folks be successful. We spend a lot of time thinking about it. We spend a lot of time measuring it. Um, I'm a huge believer in surveys, anonymous surveys, and we're constantly, you know, trying to find out where folks are frustrated or disappointed um, so that we can drive uh, sort of engagement and enablement uh, and happy to happy to talk about what those mean and how we do it. But uh, um, you know, for, so for me, uh, having our firm be a place that people really want to be is is our strategy. It's a core part of our strategy, uh, and delivering on that promise um, uh, is uh, is a core part of, of sort of my my performance review. And I can, you know, I just that that can be. True at Rockefeller, it's not true at ninety percent. Ninety percent of all of our competitors, 
uh, where the the guys in the corner office are um, have a different set of priorities than uh, than perhaps you or I do. 100% spot on. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you and I have gotten along for so long. Uh, I, I talk to our team all the time about uh, the fact that stimulated, motivated, happy employees uh, are the best. And if you're going to create a firm based on excellence, you have to hire the best people and uh, and, and have them feel like uh, this is a place they want to come into every day and they want to stay in. Uh, and that's Newberger uh, unequivocally has done that under your leadership. Uh, and it's it's been. Uh, I, I do want you to to expand. I can still mess it up, so uh, we'll, we'll say every day. I. Uh, That's not, you know, I, the other thing I would say is, and that you and I both would agree on, right? A, a lot of it is just winning, frankly. And and you guys have uh, you guys have crushed it. And when we chat with folks that you've brought on board who have been at Rockefeller for a while. Um, you know, they're just, they're happy and they're engaged and they're thrilled to be there and they're excited to be part of building something special. Um, I'd like to think, you know, our, our, our growth rate is different than yours. Is not yours is, uh, yours is straight up. Ours is, uh, ours is a, a little less ambitious. Uh, but I'd like to think, you know, folks here, uh, folks here feel the same way. We were meeting with the McGloggin, um, comp consultants, uh, earlier this morning as we think about, uh, benchmarking different roles for, for year end. And they have this interesting chart where they start with folks' uh, revenues uh, from 10 years ago, and then they chart where the firm is today relative to their historic revenues. And you forget, there are a lot of firms that we all are competing with that are, you know, 70% of the size that they were yeah. over a decade ago. And that, that can be hard, right? Because they've made brutal, tough choices and fired a lot of folks and shut down a lot of stuff. Um, you know, winning... It's a lot easier to, uh, to to have people feel good and be excited uh, when they really feel like they're delivering for clients and and winning. Yeah, no question. I mean, that's the stress that uh, that you and I, uh, you know, that, that's the piece that I stay constantly focused on. You need to keep it going uh, uh, for people to continue to have that that sense of uh, you know we're all we're all heading in the right direction here. Uh, but um, you know, hats off at Newberger. It's an incredibly competitive industry. Uh, uh, there are a lot of firms in it, as you said, there are a lot that have stumbled uh, while you've been growing that firm. But, uh, you know, five years in a row for something like that is really, truly terrific. You know, George, um, one other topic, and this is simply because you're so thoughtful on all these, and, and we, it was on the list, uh, diversity initiatives. You know, what's worked and what hasn't, that's another part of the world it's, uh, that's under the microscope uh, for all the right reasons for you and for us and for everybody. Uh, another topic that my three children who are 20, 22, and 24 are very focused on and pushing, and you're going to go hire millennials and Generation Z. They want to know what you're doing to have a firm that reflects the country and society in which we operate. And that's not been easy in financial services. So just uh, uh, that'll be the last substantive one I come at you on. Just diversity and uh, what's what's worked and what hasn't. Um, so what we've tried to do is we've tried to um, treat it the exact same way we treat our other most important initiatives. Um, so when I report our performance to the firm, I start with you know how are we doing for clients, or how are we doing in terms of generating alpha. I then go next to our clients uh, entrusting us with more or less of their irreplaceable assets. Um, then, you know, how are we doing on earnings? 
and then um, uh, how are we doing in terms of innovation and, and percent of, you know, are, are we, are we uh, continuing to recreate ourselves? And then um, how are we doing in terms of, of culture? Um, so both looking at these external rankings, our own internal rankings, are people quitting, and then, um, and then diversity um, and inclusion. And so, uh, and that that's my scoreboard. Um, that's how how I tell people to evaluate, you know, me and how we're doing. And so it's it is a it is a core objective. We put the numbers up in a in a totally transparent fashion, so people can see uh, where we are um, and and you know the progress that we're making. And we're you know we're improving our numbers at about two percent um, uh, a year. Uh, I'd love it to be faster, but uh, you know these 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 uh, these things uh, these things take time. I'd say we're equally focused on um, uh, um, inclusion, and so when I say inclusion, we, we talked about my love of, uh, of 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 anonymous surveys. As we take anonymous surveys, I then cut that data fifty-two ways to Sunday. Um, one of which is along. Um, uh, uh, diversity metrics. And so I then measure how do senior, junior, um, uh, you know, African-American males compare to, to old white guys um, in answer to five sort of key questions, uh, which include, you know, do I feel like the firm is meritocratic? Do I feel like somebody, uh, like I have a mentor and somebody is investing in me personally? Um, do I feel like I belong here? Uh, and so we 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 measure all of these things. We report back on them, uh, and and you know try really hard to to drive it. So we're we've made really good progress on inclusion. We still have more to go, but I think every person here knows we're trying you know really hard to have it be an inclusive environment. Um, they know what we've done. We've asked them about it. We've solicited their guidance and direction. Uh, and so our numbers there are quite good. Now we now we need to fix diversity. Um, if you if you don't fix diver if you fix diversity before you fix inclusion, it's not going to work because people are going to quit. Um, and so we need to you know we we've got the inclusion part largely right, not not entirely. Um, and and now we're, we're very focused on diversity. And so originally we went to uh, we were you know doing a lot of our hiring frankly from the street taking people who've had great careers at the uh, you know JP Morgans and Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanleys of the world and, and hiring them um, we realized we need to do a better job uh, in at uh, junior level so we historically haven't been a big campus recruiter we're now doing that most of that hiring is going to be uh, is going to be diversity related um, so we we, were, we won uh, uh, an award from uh, the New York City government for our, our diversity efforts um, and our diversity scores, um, which are quite high. They're high relative to peers. They're still not great. So we, we, we need to do better um, uh, such that, that we do look like the, the communities from which we, uh, uh, we draw, where we use the, the U.S. Um, uh, college uh, educated population is sort of our benchmark, um, but we're 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 making progress. We're ahead of the pack, um, and we're being totally transparent so that our people, our clients, we we put it out. We put it in our annual report so that everyone in the world can see exactly where we are, warts and all. Um, and 
hopefully can can use that to improve. You know that that answer again is why you're you're doing such a great job leading there. Uh, definitely the the campus and the young recruiting early stage recruiting and the transparency are two things that, that we're very focused on as well. George, I could uh, talk to you for hours. Uh, we're, we're out of time, uh, but uh, before we- The only we... challenge with this is I like to, uh, I prefer to, to be quiet and let you talk is I learn, uh, I learn from you as opposed to, uh, I'm flattered to have you ask the questions, but uh, uh, it's uh, your career that I admire and I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be able to participate in any program that you're ever hosting. Uh, George, you're a wonderful friend. Uh, this has been fantastic for our clients and our team. So uh, many, many thanks. Uh, uh, and I, as I, uh, uh, as I told you in advance, I'll I'll end uh, with some quotations uh, that kind of wrap everything George and I have been talking about. And George talked uh, before we went on, and we've just run out of time here. But he had a great uh, quotation from De Tocqueville from 1835 on the intensity and the challenge of elections in the United States so almost 200 years ago. Uh, but I've got two to leave everybody with, uh, and I want to thank George again. It's been a fantastic hour. Uh, he's done an amazing job uh, with Neuberger and over the course of his career. I, I can embarrass him one more time and let you all know that I have prodded him to, uh, uh, to get into the public uh, political world uh, just because uh, we would all benefit from having him out there. Uh, so, uh, uh, more to come on that. I'll keep pushing. Uh, but thank you for being here. Thank you to uh, our um, our clients, uh, our um, our Rockefeller team, and any friends of Rockefeller that are on this call. Uh, we will send a replay around, and as always, Tom Martell and team will post it uh, on our podcast series. Uh, so, two uh, quotations appropriate for the world that uh, we're living in in the United States uh, today, with the moment to moment. Uh, attention to the uh, recent election. Bobby Kennedy Jr. first said, uh, and I quote, democracy is messy and it's hard. It's never easy. And then uh, Winston Churchill, we'll borrow him, said, uh, and many of you have uh, heard this quote, I would think. I, I did look it up uh, uh, again today and uh, it's not clear he said it first, but uh, there's nobody uh, who took credit before him so we're gonna to continue to ascribe it to Sir Winston. He said the following quote, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. So uh, uh, all the best to uh, all of our friends of Rockefeller uh, clients. Uh, thanks again to George Walker. Uh, stay upbeat on the country and where we're going and we'll see you all soon for another version of uh, uh, what we did today. So take care, thank you very much. <laughs>